Mom? Mom? What is it, love? I can't decide what to pack. Ah, well, that's good. What? Why? Well, if you're already packing, you've obviously got your valid passport, travel insurance, checked local COVID travel and visa rules. You know, the stuff you really need to know before you go. Travelling this summer? Put peace of mind top of your list with a trip to dfa.ie forward slash travelwise. An initiative of the Government of Ireland. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan, coming up today. From Vogue Williams to Pippa O'Connor, we meet the interior designer to the stars who's offering to visit your home. Fragrance, perfume or eau de toilette, whatever you call it, it's a sensory experience. I'll be finding out about the science behind scent. Do you like the vintage look at home but don't know where to start? We've got you covered. And what do the latest extension on rules for rental properties mean for tenants and landlords? We'll be finding out this morning. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show at any time on our podcasts on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. Now, you're very welcome along today on what I hope is a lovely weekend wherever you are. It was a lovely week in all sunny weather, at least where we were in Dublin, at least most of the time. I managed to get out for my very first pint in a proper glass handed to me by a waiter and experienced my first outdoor dining meal in 2021. I must say it was very special. And to top it all, I have my second vaccine appointment next Tuesday. There's an air of optimism and giddiness about at the moment, but it did get me thinking about what comes next. I mean, once everything reopens and we're allowed to shop and eat and drink our hearts away, is that it? Do we just go back to the way things were, back to the office? The commute, the packed buses and trains, 10-hour workdays, dropping and picking the kids up at the crash in the dark. Or do you think COVID has perhaps been the catalyst for permanent change? There's been a lot of research done on this and a survey last week showed that most of us are actually resistant to returning full time to the office. We've seen the benefits of working from home and we like it at least some of the time. So here's my question. All things been equal. And if you're able to have the choice, what would you do? Would you go back full time to work, escape your home and family? Or do you like working from home full time? Or would you prefer some kind of a hybrid model, a few days of each? I'd love to hear your opinion. I'm in the latter camp, I must say. I like coming in here to the office and then I like being at home the other days to work. But tell me what you think. How will your work life look in 2022? Text me here at 53106 for 30 cent or give us an old email at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. But for now, sit back and relax and you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, my first guest this morning is interior designer that many celebrities have turned to for her expertise and style. Vogue Williams, Millie McIntosh and Pip O'Connor are among her clientele. And shortly, with a new TV show, you too could have Arlene McIntyre, creative director of interior design company Ventura Design, sorting out your home. And I'm delighted to say that Arlene joins me in the home show studio today. Good morning, Arlene. Good morning, Sinead. Thank you for having me. 
Now, I mentioned that you had a growing list of celebrity clients, but I I wonder whether the most challenging of those was the recent project that you have undertaken for Vogue Williams and Spencer Matthews because they bought this house in Hoth. Yes. Have they even visited it yet? Well, I believe they're there now. Oh, I think okay. I think Vogue has literally just seen her home for the first time in in the last few days. Unbelievable breaking news, folks. If you're around <laughs> Hope this sunny weekend, you'll bump into Vogue Williams. Um, so, Arlene, talk to me about what it was like designing a home online, which is effectively what you had to do because yeah. COVID meant that they couldn't travel over to consult with you. Uh, talk to me about that. Well, it was challenging. I think we were going through a very challenging time as it was with the pandemic, you know, at its height at that time. But our, a lot of our business continued to coast through the various lockdowns because all of our team were working at home remotely. And in the case of Vogue, all of our calls were done by Zoom, FaceTime, you know, WhatsApp. It's incredible what we were able to to pull across the line in time for when she was going to return to Ireland. Yeah, and I, I mean, she wanted a home from home because, of course, she is Irish yes. and uh, and had bought this property uh, over note where I think she's from. But what you do, interior design, is of its nature tactile. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to feel the fabric, you have to look at the colours. It's not the same on a screen. It's not. And I, and I in Vogue in particular, I just loved working with her. She's just such a fun person and I missed her being with her and, and her energy. But having worked with her before on her little boy Theo's nursery, I was I understood their style and I got their vibe and they mm. really but for in terms of Hoth they wanted to create a real modern Hamptons feel. She was very clear on her brief. Um, she had a wonderful art collection that we had to consider in the overall design as well. She liked bright fresh colors. She needed a new kitchen. She needed new flooring. So all of this was able. We were able to do all of this uh, remotely, virtually. And by uh, DHL and UPS. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's an extraordinary way to, for, you know, for you to conduct your business in the in the strangest of times, you yes. know, to do that. Now, uh, Pippa O'Connor, of course, um, yes. you did a, a conversion. It was like a garage conversion. Yes. What did you create out of her once garage? Well, it's funny because I worked with them a couple of years ago on the rest of their home. And then we had all their drawings and plans in the office. And they were like, gosh, you know, we're thinking a lot of people are at home. Um, they have two boys. It's a growing family and they need more space mm-hmm. like everyone has been reviewing their their homes in general and they were like god you know we really need to do something with the garage what sh- what do you think we can do we're thinking of turning it into a bathroom here a bedroom there what do you think and i was like yeah let's do it so we were able to work obviously uh from our design team from our desks remotely we created up uh 3ds and cgis of the space and what could and could not be done and um, between us all, we came together with what I think they're really happy with. It's kind of a beautiful Art Deco look, which is my yeah. favourite kind of style, yes. um, as listeners will know on the show. Uh, that kind of mirrored surfaces and um, kind of the beautiful jeweled effect on it. Uh, yeah. A lovely retro feel. Exactly. And she wanted something that was uber luxurious. So the rest of her home is all about the family. It's all about the boys and family time. And then she just wanted this home to have a completely different tone. Yeah. So it's slightly more glamorous. Like you rightly said, it has a little more sparkle. And uh, yes, there's mirrors in the room. Mm. And uh, of course, she needed extra overflow for her wardrobe space. So in well, obviously, yes. <laughs> she has an amazing wardrobe. She does. And oh, I think she's a collection of jeans. Oh, that she yeah. oh my God. Of course, you need wardrobes just for that. Literally. Okay. So we were able to incorporate all those needs that she had herself and Brian had ticked all the boxes. Mm. And yeah. I think we got there in the end. All right. Um, Now, talk to me about some of the 
more memorable projects you've worked on. I know that you had one where you had to incorporate a very unusual children's slide. <laughs> well, that was one of our favourite projects. We've, we have many. We're working on a, a, a super project currently in Jersey, in the Channel Islands, which is absolutely amazing. And we've been working on that literally from conception and we hope to finish it right through to completion. But with larger projects, and they're so vast, there's different teams that you have to bring on to them. So all of this was not solely done by myself. And we'd have several different teams involved in different areas of this house. And this particular couple had uh, three children and like they were very family orientated, which was lovely. And they created the most amazing gigantic galvanized slide that came down from the playroom which was on the third floor right through the house into the swimming pool into which was on the, the ground through floor into the house well uh, to one side section oh of the house oh my goodness so it was really impressive so they'd scoot down <laughs> you wouldn't want to misstep out of that room <laughs> I was dying to use it Sinead myself <laughs> inadvertently in the water mm. fantastic is it more fun for you working on lavish projects like that where there's probably an unlimited budget? Like what other you weird know, things do people want? Well, you know, it's a tricky one because, you know, even even people with the biggest of budgets, they're pretty good on minding their own pocket strings as well. So mm. they want value for money. They want good design and they want good service. Mm. So you can't fail on, on the larger projects. They are really stressful, super demanding. Everything that you can imagine it's there. It's, yeah. it's hard work. But I also enjoy looking after, you know, the smaller projects whereby, you, you know, currently I'm working with a couple and they have a two bed apartment and they live in the US and they want to have a place here that they can call home. Again, it's all being done virtually and remotely, yeah. but it, it's not about the size. I enjoy working with the people. I know that mm, might sound mm. a bit cheesy, but it's true. And I like the entire creative pro- process. Well, of course, people get very emotional about their homes yeah. and about their interiors and they want a particular look. And I mean, for so long, I think lots of people, it's probably still the case, lots of people just want that five star hotel look. You know, that can mm-hmm. be quite bland, actually, because of its yes. very nature. Yes. Uh, so do you find maybe that there's um, a little more comfort creeping in post-COVID? People oh, just want that. Four walls to be sanctuary. Yes, you are so right. Um, Before the lockdown, a lot of people may have only used their living rooms at the weekends or late at night. And probably we're not spending as much time during the day in them as they have been, you know, in the last year Mm. or 18 months. And so definitely things that we are now getting big asks for are, um, you know, super functioning rooms whereby we have better seating, better storage, home offices, multifunctional, multifunctional audio spaces for the family to enjoy a movie, mini bars. It's great. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I am speaking with Arlene McIntyre, creative director of Ventura Design. Now, Arlene, um, you uh, in your own home, right, because I'm always fascinated by interior designers, they must have fabulous, perfect homes all the time. You're shaking your head in the studio, (laughs) you're saying that. But you did make a fundamental change, which I think a lot of people in principle would like to do, but would find it very difficult in practice. And that's moving from a four bed home to two bedrooms. Yes. Talk to me about that thinking process. Uh, From moving from a four bedroom home. Yeah, because that's a huge leap in terms of maybe preserving its future value or creating these probably must be well, bedrooms now. Yes. Well, well, for me, when we when we moved into our, our new space, it it had a lot of, of rooms that I felt weren't functioning correctly. So we knocked out a lot of the walls. And yes, it had five bedrooms, but we've we have two bedrooms now upstairs because we felt space added more value to our lives uh, than having loads of little bedrooms 
that, you know, make no sense. So now we have lovely flow happening upstairs, for example, in the bedroom. Mm. We have a play mm. area for our little girl. She's 22 months. <laughs> oh, Peppa Pig and all her friends yeah. have arrived and we've had to make space for all of them. And uh, that feeling of space for me is like the biggest luxury imaginable. It must be like two suites, yeah. nearly. Yeah, yeah. And having good storage is really important. Ah, okay. And, and, and again, we really lacked that uh, before we did the big move. So... I'm loving the storage. I'm loving the extra wardrobe space. And I'm loving that Ali has her own playroom. OK. So. And I suppose like most people, you know, irrespective of the budget, you also like a bit of a bargain. Yeah. So talk to me about how people in their own homes now, uh, without the benefit of an interior designer, can spruce up something or make a change that might be impactful, but doesn't cost a great deal of money. We talk a lot on this show about colour pops in terms yes. of textures and fabrics on cushions and walls and, and, and that kind of thing. First thing I would always advise everyone to do is totally declutter your space. It has to start. Everyone has to Ouch. put in the elbow grease mm. in a project. It, the easy part, I believe, is when we come in and we work our magic on their space. But it's a team effort. And I think clearing out the space, seeing the space that you have, introducing more light, perhaps mm. clever usage of mirrors. In fact, you could use a nice mirror on that wall over there, Sinead. We definitely could. We could use a whole revamp on this studio. <laughs> I'm very certain you might stay back after the show. But and it throw would help pictures. bounce more light yeah. around your studio. Yeah. So just little clever things like that make an enormous difference. Bringing colour pops. I think colour really impacts our lives as well. So freshening it up with a new colour pop, may it be lovely moss greens or ochres or rusts or whatever really taps into what makes you happy. Mm. Bringing in new lighting, perhaps a new throw, maybe repositioning your existing furniture. So just be clever with what you have mm. and then really have a hard look at what you really need rather than just splashing out on something that's totally impractical. We try and advise each client that we have on what they really need. Yeah, because you do collect a lot of stuff over the years and there's that sense that, oh, I have to have it out. I have to. Somebody gave that to me as a present and that's an heirloom from somebody. But you mightn't actually like it. That's true. And we, we come cr across that quite a lot where something is super sentimental in the family and you have to be super sensitive and we have to find a special place for it. But people forget about their hallways. Hallways are amazing spaces where wonderful pieces of art can go that maybe you don't want to look at. Uh, every evening while you're having a glass of wine. So just working, reworking things, doing a total review. OK, now talk to me about the new TV show. Yes. Designed for Life is the name of it. Yes. And it will be on RTE. And uh, how will the show work now? Wh what is it that you're planning to do there? Well, I'm very excited about it. I'm looking forward to meeting these six very lucky contestants whereby we'll be working nationwide, anywhere from a young couple in their first home to uh, a family with teenagers, people living alone, families with young children. And we're going to look at redesigning a space in their home. OK, so it could be maybe a room, a playroom or a reconversion of something. It or could be kitchens. two reception rooms. Okay. It could be a master bedroom and an ensuite and a walk-in wardrobe. It could be a tired hallway in a kitchen or pulling together a whole new look for an apartment. How, how do people apply for this? Uh, because I imagine there'll be a big rush, Arlene, to get people in. Where do they go to send their information to you? If they are interested in being a part of this exciting show, definitely please contact Design at IndiePix. .ie. Design at indiepix.ie. Right, super. Well, listen, you've heard it here first. I'm sure you'll you'll get a rush of applications and well, why hopefully. not? It'll be fantastic. People yeah. will be looking for a new room designed for and stars. I'm looking to meet them. <laughs> looking right. forward to meeting them. Okay, Arlene McIntyre, Creative Director of Interior Design Company Ventura Design. Thank you very much for joining us this Thank morning you, on Sinead. The Home Show.
Now, the Cabinet has extended rental protections for those financially impacted by the pandemic and it means those in arrears or at risk of homelessness cannot face rent increases or evictions until January 2022. The Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, has described the response as proportionate and focused. Well, to see if he's right, I'm joined now by Dr Lorcan Sir, lecturer in housing at TUD. Lorcan, you're very welcome along to the Home Show this morning. Now, talk to me about these new measures or the extension of these measures for renters and landlords. How will they work? Yeah, well, what is happening is that the measures that were brought in last August, which kind of brought in a rent freeze and a minimum 90 days notice if, if a landlord wants to get rid of a tenant, were applicable up to 12th of July this year. And of course, that date is rapidly approaching. And even though COVID is, you know, we're getting on top of it, it has still having a lot of implications for people. So what the minister wants to do is extend the restrictions on evictions and a rent freeze until January 2022. But it must be noted that these are only now for people on PUP or the EWSS scheme. And of course, to avail of these as a tenant, you must register with the RTB. So effectively, if you're on the PUP payment or the EWSS, go on the RTB website, register as being in receipt of those, and then you are then protected protected from rent increases or from eviction effectively by your landlord. So it's important, it's important to do that. If you're not, if you're back in work or if you, if you never left work, well, then the previous restrictions no longer apply. So your tenant, for example, or your, sorry, your landlord, for example, could serve you with a rent review notice and, and try to increase your, your rent or indeed uh, an eviction notice. OK, so these are COVID specific measures. Now, we have heard that uh, while a lot of businesses are reopening and people are going back to work, there's a significant number of people who aren't uh, going back to work and this will certainly help them if they're renters. Do you think, though, Lorcan, there's a possibility of some, you know, some kind of moral hazard here? People saying, well, look, as long as I'm safe from eviction and safe from a rent increase, I'm not going to go back to work. Yeah, I think a lot of the people who are affected by COVID, uh, we know from data that you know the majority of people who are affected by COVID would be in the the services sector and some of the lower end sectors, uh, sorry, the lower paid sectors, uh, and, and that they would uh, be renters. Uh, and we know that an awful lot of renters have been affected by COVID. I think, to be honest with you, um, Sinead, that people would rather get back to work and earn a, a proper wage rather than continue to be in receipt of the PUP payment or, or the EWSS. And we also know that a lot of people have left the rental sector uh, totally when they lost when they lost employment mm. uh, and a lot of people have moved back to their family homes or back where they came from or you know back with their parents or whatever so there has been a, a significant decline in the number of actual tenants uh, out there anyway you know indeed now another measure which will be welcome or unwelcome depending on what side of the coin you're on is the limiting of the deposits that landlords can ask prospective tenants for and that has been restricted to Two, is it two months deposit and, and a month's rent or or how will it work, Lorcan? Yeah, it's one month's deposit and one month's rent. So the total would be the equivalent of two months rent. I thought that was pretty enough, standard all along, though, was it not? No, no. Surprisingly enough, even though we've been, uh, you know, renting for a long time, you know, hundreds of years, we've had quite a, a significant rental sector and it's doubled in size. And, you know, since 2010 to 2018, it's, it's doubled in size. There's never been a definition of what a deposit is. So landlords could, and you we see this happening in the UK and tenants, what happens in the UK tends to kind of creep in here. We see landlords looking for more and more months rent as a deposit. And we see it particularly in the student housing sector as well. So what the minister has done, and it, it is to be welcomed, I think, from the vast majority of you know, 800,000 tenants out there, mm. 
what they have done is restricted or put a definition basically on, on what a deposit is. So it's going to be you will not be able to be asked for more than one month's rent as a deposit plus one month's rent in advance. Okay. So the equivalent of two months' rent. Now, obviously, landlords aren't going to be happy with that because they feel that they need, some landlords need more than that just in case something goes wrong with the tenancies. But to be honest with you, very, very few, like we're talking about 1% of tenancies, ever end up in a serious mm, dispute. Mm. So for the vast majority of landlords and tenants, this, I think, will be a, a fairly reasonable thing. And, and we have to remember that that deposits are always in the top one, two, three sources of disputes every year between mm. landlords and tenants, you know, around the idea of landlords giving or not giving deposits back to tenants. And tenants, right. if, if any of your listeners are, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are tenants out there, but you've you got to remember that the, the, the deposit is always the property of the tenants. You're just handing it you're over minding to the landlord. It, yeah, until they leave. Where, where you're renting. Is there a possibility, though, Lorcan, that, you know, land, some rogue landlords could respond to this restriction by saying, well, I won't charge you more than one month's deposit, but actually there's money to be paid for the car park space or there's money to be paid for the communal bins because people renters hate that kind of practice but they feel stuffed by it really yeah that's that's a really good question because a, a practice that we've seen particularly since the four percent rent pressure zone limit came in so your rent if you're in a rent pressure zone which is about three quarters of all tenancies in the country your rent can only go up every year by four percent so what you see some agents and landlords attempting to do is circumvent the four percent by saying okay your core rent is going up by four percent but you have to pay for a car parking space or a service charge now you can't be asked to do that if you're already in a tenancy and it's not in the lease Mm. But for people who are signing up to a new lease, read it, make sure that everything that you agree to pay is in that lease. Now, the problem we are finding is that some agents and landlords are asking uh, tenants to pay, say, €50 a month for car parking space that they don't want or don't need. They don't even have a car, but yet it's part of the requirements of renting the property. So they're trying to get around the 4% by saying, well, your core rent is going up by 4%, but, you know, the service charge is going up by €100 a month and, you know, we needed to take car parking and all that kind of stuff. So be very wary of what you sign up for uh, in a lease. And read Read it carefully. And read it carefully. Okay, Dr. Lorcan, sir, lecturer in housing at TUD. Thank you very much. No worries, Sinead. Take care. Thanks very much. Now, let us know what you think by texting us here 53106. Are you a renter? Are you planning to be a renter? And does this give you security of tenure at all? You can let us know and we'll be delighted to hear from you. Now, fragrance zoning is a new wellness trend gaining popularity with people working from home. But what is it and why do we need it? Well, joining me this morning to explain it all is Dr. Tara Swart, neuroscientist, medical doctor and author. Good morning, Tara. You're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thanks very much for having me. Now, talk to me about fragrance zoning. I had never heard of it before, but it kind of makes sense. Give us some of the benefits of it. I think like so many things, it's made much more sense in the last 15 months than we ever would have thought of before. Because people have been working from home, homeschooling, we've actually lost that sense of boundary that we would get from our commute, for example, or just, you know, having separate spaces to do these different things. And so actually using essential oils that are of a good enough therapeutic potency to mark different spaces in your house as four different activities or to help you gain the mental state that you need to be in to do that activity. So it can be anything from a lavender pillow spray to a coffee-smelling candle in in the room that you work in. I use a spray for the house called Forest Therapy because that connection to nature is something that's been really important in the last 15 months as well. So it's basically about having 
different smells in different rooms in your house, um, either to create a boundary mentally between, okay, it's the end of the workday and now it's family time, or to help you to focus, to help you to feel more energized, to encourage you to exercise. And so it can be used in different ways. And there's lots of different formulations. There's rollerballs, pillow mists, candles, diffusers. And you can also just inhale an essential oil. Now, of course, this goes beyond just a nice smell in the house because there's lots of evidence that it can actually alter our our mental state uh, just by mm. smell. It's a really uh, profound, I think probably, you know, sometimes you can be transported back to your childhood with a particular mm. smell of something. So talk to me about the different scents that work, maybe if you need a little bit of energy or you need to be a little bit calmer. Okay, so the science behind that is that your olfactory nerve, which is the nerve for smell, just goes back about an inch from the top of your nose to the part of the brain where memories and emotions are associated. So often in a neuroscience workshop, I'll do an icebreaker like which smell most strongly evokes a childhood memory for you. And that really gets people talking because they have an immediate response to that. And so... Like I said, if these essential oils are of sufficient therapeutic potency, then the particles actually have an impact on your, on your brain through your olfactory nerve. So, for example, lavender is the um, strongest naturally occurring neuromodulator, which means it modulates your brain depending on what you need. So if you're feeling anxious, it can calm you down. And if you're feeling melancholy or low in mood, it can actually lift your mood. And so although there are generalizations like lavender and citrus is associated with being very energizing and improving your focus, it's also quite individual. So depending on the childhood experiences that we've had with certain smells, that will have a certain impact on us. So Mm -hmm. you might love the smell of rose because you remember being in your grandmother's garden and she had wonderful roses. I might remember being told off for snapping a rose off in my grandmother's <laughs> garden and then not like the smell because I've got a negative memory associated so with it. So it's incredibly but personal. generally speaking, mm. rose is associated with optimism. Okay, that's very, very interesting. Um, I'm trying to think back to my own childhood memories of smell and roses are definitely one of them because my mother had a fantastic rose garden. Now, we weren't allowed really in it and pluck the leaves of it. We'd be punished. But I can remember walking out of my my childhood home every time and getting that scent of roses hitting you, Mm. uh, which is extraordinary. Now, during the pandemic, one of the consequences of COVID-19 has been the loss of smell smell uh, and taste and that seems to have been because this virus this awful thing is located at the very very top of the nose it happened to me I lost my smell for profoundly and completely for seven full days Tara I won't ever forget it It, I didn't think it would matter as much as it did are you finding that with people uh, that that it really has been a problem absolutely I mean I think it's given us a, an appreciation for a sense that I think we've really taken for granted before. Everybody's very aware of blindness and deafness, for example, mm-hmm. but we've never really thought about losing our touch, smell or taste. So it really came as a shock. And it's interesting how much it ruins enjoyment of things like eating, drinking. Um, you lose that, actually that connection between memories and smell it, through neuroplasticity, which is the incredible ability of the brain to sort of grow and change that it can come back but people have actually had to train themselves to smell again and you know just smelling coffee for the first time was like the most wonderful thing Mm. in the world so 
all of our senses are so important to um, our mental health and the performance of our brain. So losing one that we'd never really thought about was was quite shocking. A profound shock and one that we normally, we wouldn't be able to test by ourselves, um, you know. And it really, I was very, very surprised the difference it made to food, uh, the taste of food mm. apart from anything else. During the pandemic, of course, another consequence has been uh, people's difficulty sleeping, uh, insomnia, that kind of thing. You mentioned lavender. Mm. Uh, are there mm. other fragrances uh, or ways we can use uh, aroma to help us sleep? Yeah, so prior to the pandemic, I used to just put a drop of lavender on my pillow every night to create that connection in the brain between sleep and the smell of lavender because I travelled a lot, so I was often jet-lagged. You can use any pillow spray or just a drop of essential oil that makes you feel calm and repeatedly use it until you create that connection in your brain. So, you know, you could use frankincense, you could use jasmine, just anything that, that you like that doesn't kind of energize you but actually calms you down and it's all about just creating that connection and and actually talking of connections one of the things that people are suggesting now is that the smells we've got used to in our home throughout the last 15 months everything from your shower gel to your detergent but as things open up again and you know we, we start to navigate a new kind of life that we should actually change all the smells in our household because the old ones will be associated with being confined and oh, I see. afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's really good advice. Actually, it's also a great excuse now that the shops are open to get out and buy new diffusers and oils and candles and all that exactly. kind of thing. Um, OK, so can I ask you then as a final question, uh, Tari, does the strength of the smell matter or, or are you best kind of just having it lingering in the background? I, I find some of those smelly candles can be really overpowering. Yeah, it's, it's the strength of the actual essential oil that's in them. And often there's a lot of artificial smells mm. that are associated with candles and things. So I'm actually an ambassador for Aromatherapy Associates and their new candles, they've got a new home range out, has a whole bottle of essential oil in the candle and it's made of a, you know, an, a, a wax that's not an artificial wax, it's made of soy and coconut oil. So... It's to do with the particles that actually go into your nose or through your skin. That's the therapeutic benefit. And if you're finding something overpowering, then that's really your body telling you that it's, it's too much and it's not good. And it may be because there's something artificial in it as well that, that's not soothing your, your nervous system. So I always say to people, listen to your body and you know, find something that is the right level for you and a smell that you like. All right. Well, Dr. Tara Swart, neuroscientist and ambassador for Aromatherapy Associates, thank you for joining us for that calming moment on The Home Show this morning. Thank you so much, Sinead. Now, we've no Roisin Murphy for a few weeks as she is off filming. But don't worry, there's still lots of inspo coming your way on design and architecture. You may remember a few weeks ago when we had Roisin in here, uh, she spoke to us about future-proofing your home as you or your parents maybe grow older. Well, we got a big reaction to that piece and we thought it'd be good to do a follow-up on the show. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined this morning by Trevor Flanagan, owner of Beachfield Healthcare and member of the Halo Care Help Panel. Morning, Trevor. Welcome along to the show. Good morning, Sinead. Now, talk to me a little bit about the kind of issues that older people face when they want to stay in their own homes, but maybe are infirm or or find that a little bit more difficult in later years. Well, Sinead, I think the biggest challenge when we think of maybe an older sibling or a mum or a dad is keeping them safe at home. And really, what does that mean? The stats will show that 
over 65s, they have a one in three chance of presenting to hospital after having a fall. Mm. Biggest so, areas, areas of concern for falls home, bathroom and bedroom. Okay, so we're talking about mobility solutions. So are we thinking about things like grab rails, banisters, stair lifts, that kind of thing, Trevor? Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. So the, the, the more simpler devices would be something, as I touched on, Sinead, a grab rail in your shower unit, beside your bath, beside your sink, or indeed a, a specialty rail beside your, your toilet. They're the real simple, easy wins. Mm. There's something that can be installed really quickly, really simply, at a very, very cost-effective rate. Mm. Getting out of bed can be a real challenge. Sometimes just a profiling bed where mum can be set up in bed and she can turn out and stand really safely from the bed. Maybe it's something like a backlift that when mum wants to have a bath that she can be raised down and raised up in the bath okay. in a really safe way. You, you touched on stairless, Sinead. You need a bit more from a stairless perspective. It's a piece of equipment that will literally go from ground level easily and quietly and safely up your stairs and bring a person to their bedroom. Yeah, now they're, they're not cheap now to, to install. What would you normally expect to pay for a stair lift? Well, the, the range can be from €1,500 Euro up to €6,000. Right, but okay. The good news, Sinead, the good news is there's a scheme that the local authorities run. Now, it is means-tested, but you can get up to €6,000 to help you get that stairless and that solution for your home. So it shouldn't be an obstacle. OK, that's, obstacle. that's the mobility aid, aid grant. Yeah. Now, it, it, it is budget-led, though, Trevor, and it, it can be hit and miss, I think, in a lot of local authority areas. I know that, you know, from what I've heard from people, there's quite a long waiting list. There's a lot of red tape to cross. Do you find that families can afford maybe to wade through that or, or are they better off just tr- trying to manage it themselves, if, if at all possible? Look, like anything else, there is red tape when one is applying for grants or a scheme. But uh, most companies, and indeed Beachfield Healthcare, we actually help people through that process okay. to make it easier for them. All right. Now, talk to me a little bit about how technology can play a part in organising, you know, or helping people to live at home a little bit longer. Uh, apps and screens. Now, I know there's an awful lot of older people thinking, I can't be using that. Don't, don't let me get me started on that kind of thing. Uh, talk to me about what might be available in that sphere, though, if they are interested. Well, I think of my own mum and dad when you talk about apps or phones or whatever, and I think we discredit them somewhat. I think, Sinead, they're clever. Our older people are getting much more tuned in to technology and devices. And we work with a company in Carroll called Halo Care, who have a very, very clever solution. for sensors in any given room, and they can actually, literally, it's really, it's really clever. They can actually sense a fall and actually alert the care hub in Carlow that may contact a sibling or a wife or a daughter or son to say, look, we have a problem. We think we've uh, picked up a fall. So that technology is there, and it's very passive, really passive. So everybody thinks of cameras and all these sort of things that might Mm. make mum or dad be a bit more uh, anxious. No, not the case. The way computational power has, has sort of increased now, all these algorithms can actually sense irregular pattern in a room that maybe mum hasn't opened up the curtains. She, she normally opens up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Today it's 10 o'clock. The algorithms and the care hub can actually say, can give you a call. Just something maybe out of kilter here. We're seeing that mum has not opened up the curtains today at 8 o'clock. So really clever stuff going on in the background. But mum and dad don't see anything or sense anything different. 
Okay, well, it's certainly I know uh, and it is without doubt that where possible, people would much prefer to spend longer at home than in maybe a residential setting or a hospital. So any and all help, I suppose, carries on that and makes that a little bit easier. All right. Trevor Flanagan, owner of Beachfield Healthcare and member of the Halo Care Help Panel. Thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. Thank you very much, Sinead. Thank you. Now, there's definitely a desire from people to mix and match styles in their homes and to use older pieces of furniture, perhaps pre-loved pieces. So recycling is all the rage and sustainability is what we are after. But there's a big difference between secondhand and vintage chic. So it's a question we get asked a lot here on The Home Show and my next guest has the answers. She owns a stunning home in Cork that is a masterclass in how to do vintage while remaining modern and contemporary. Ashling Nugent of Vintage Hill Cork. Good morning and very welcome to The Home Show. Hi Sinead, thank you for having me. Now we'll get to talk about your vintage style in your home. I've been looking at the pictures and I must say it's been a lovely nosy look through the curtains of your home. But can you start by telling me how you got into collecting vintage pieces in the first place? I suppose my love for vintage definitely came from my mum. She was a great woman for going to the auctions and car boot sales and she brought me to my first auction as a child And I can remember going to car boot sales on holidays in England with her. So it really came from her. You know, she kind of opened my eyes to, I suppose, the benefits of choosing things from the past in terms of their durability, the the craftsmanship, that it's often a lot more economical and more so the, the character that it brings, the character that it adds to a home and, you know, the the narrative that comes behind every piece in terms of, how it was used or, you know, also where you bought it or when you bought it. There's always a story attached to to that. So it sounds to me like, you know, it is something that you don't do in one weekend. It takes time. I mean, I presume, you know, if you're going to car boot sales or auctions or looking in skips, you know, you're, you're going to be just lucky from time to time. So is it something that you have to devote a lot of time to? Can you get a little bit maybe obsessed with it? Absolutely. A hundred percent. It is. I kind of nearly need to forewarn people that do want to get into it, that it does become addictive, but it's great fun at the same time. You kind of have to get over the desire to decorate your home, you know, in a short time, you know, that you need kind of need to change your mindset a little bit and just be prepared to put the time in kind of, I suppose, as they say, more haste, less speed, you know, and just build up a collection, you know, don't be tempted to just, you know, fall into the trends and just buy things overnight. Yeah. Now, one of the things, Ashling, that I saw uh, that might surprise people when they think of maybe whatever about buying sideboards and chairs and tables, you bought an amazing parquet flooring. Parquet is one of those things that had a moment in time, maybe in the 70s, and it's kind of marmite. I think people love it or they hate it. I love it. Uh, mm. But but there's an awful lot of work to do in recreating a, a parquet floor. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it was a reclaimed floor. It came out of a dance hall. Um, now, when we got it, it came in literally black bags. It was covered in bitumen tar that had been used to originally lay it. 
and every piece had the original dowels. So there was over 2,000 tiles. They all had to be passed through a planer to remove the, the bitumen and the dirt. And then all the dowels had to be removed. And then because they're not all uniform in size, we had to make up a template and they had to be sorted according to size. So it was fairly testing at times and we weren't <laughs> long married. There were moments where there could have been grounds for divorce, but we got through it. And to be honest, it's it's definitely our favourite feature you know, or one of the favourite things in the house. Now, we didn't lay it ourselves. We got the professionals in to do that. Yeah. Um, a, a local company, Swinta Woodworks, laid it. And, um, it, looks, it looks amazing. And, you know, it's just, I suppose, a bit like putting a jigsaw together and... Uh, uh, the, the end result is, is is fantastic, but you can definitely see the effort in it. Now, um, charity shops are probably a great source of items as well. And I know you got you got what, a sofa there for how much? Yeah, there was a sofa that I came across, a little two-seater sofa, and it was five euros. Wow, oh, my goodness. OK, yeah. now talk to you about because actually this is what I really wanted to ask you. How can you tell the difference? between quality or something that you can redeem and just somebody else's rubbish. This sofa in question was in, it was infused with cigarette smoke, you know, it stank to high heaven. But it just had, you just knew by the shape of it that it was one that you wouldn't come across, you know, very often. So I suppose you have to be able to distinguish between is this something that has been churned out, you know, or is it something, you know, it's more of a one-off, let's Mm -hmm. say. And yeah, it was very solid, solid piece. So, you know, once you do your bit of investigative work in terms of looking for woodworm and that kind of thing, it was fine that way structurally. So everything else was just a case of getting it reupholstered, getting new foam to get rid of the, the smoke and all the rest of it. But um, it was fine then. And yes, there's the cost in reupholstering it. But at the end, then you have a sofa that isn't, say, in everybody else's house. And again, you have the narrative behind it that I'm telling you, you know, yeah, that it was yeah, exactly. The fact that it cost a fiver, it might have ended up costing 400 quid, but you got it for a fiver. Now, talk to me, Ashling, about transforming old pieces of furniture into contemporary items. Yeah, like one of the main things I wanted to do, say, in our bathroom was to use an old washstand, which we had, uh, I had picked up. I can't remember, was it at an auction or something? And it has a marble top. So it's actually quite functional in terms of using it in a bathroom. Uh, It has a marble top and a tile backsplash. So what we did was we took the marble top to a local uh, stone cutter, stone mason, and he just cut out a hole in the the centre to sink the sink into and the tap. And yeah, we plumbed it through then through the, the bottom unit and... There you go. It was, you know, it's functional, it's different um, and it will, I would imagine it will stand the test of time because it is such a a strong piece that, you know. Yeah, so it's about going for those those kind of quality materials that were maybe very old, but but have stood the test of time. I mean, marble, I mean, you know, is an ideal thing for that. Now, if people wanted to kind of start now that we're kind of back opening and maybe those auction houses and car boot sales are starting up again, is there any resource that people might be able to go to to find out what's in their area Ashling. Yeah there's one particular website which is very good because it, it lists everything all in one place it's collectireland.ie and that lists auctions, car boot sales, antiques fairs, salvage yards all over the country, actually all over the island of Ireland, including the north. Good, okay. Um, So that's collectireland.ie. And if um, listeners want to find a little bit more about you and look at your beautiful photographs, where can they go, Ashling? Uh, You can find me at Vintage Hill Cork, which is kind of my main interiors account. And then there's Vintage Hill Finds, which is just where I have some vintage sales from 
time to time. Wonderful. And one woman's trash is another woman's treasure, as they say. Ashling Nugent from Vintage Hill Cork. Thanks very much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thanks for having me, Sinead. Leave diesel behind with Toyota Hybrid Electric and cut down on fuel costs and harmful emissions. Our self-charging hybrid range has helped make Toyota Ireland's best-selling car brand in 2021 and 2022. Models are available for delivery now, including the Toyota CHR and the Corolla range. So talk to your dealer today about flexible payment options. You'll never take a wrong turn with Toyota. Built for a better world. Terms and conditions apply. Best-selling claim based on most recent monthly figures.